You better listen, my brother, cause if you do, you can hear their voices still calling from across the years. And they're crying across the ocean, they're crying across the land, and they're willing to we all come to understand. None of us are free, none of us are free. Welcome to uh, Labor Radio Podcast Weekly's uh, live stream, our first of 2021. And uh, <laughs> we weren't sure we were going to open this week, but boy, am I glad we did. <laughs> Good call. Good call. Uh, I am Chris Garlock. I'm the host of Union City Radio, and I am here in the nation's capital. My co-host today, uh, Jeremy Watt, he is the host of the Break Time Breakdown over there. Well, you tell him, tell him where you are, Jeremy. Uh, I'm in. I'm safe over here in Louisville, Kentucky. Safe as you can be in Louisville, anyway. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right, we got a lot to cover, and uh, probably not enough hours in a day to cover all of it. So let me welcome our, our terrific uh, guest to help us uh, put everything in perspective and show us a way out. Uh, first of all, somebody I've been reading for uh, quite a while now, and I'm real happy to have on the show uh, Kim Kelly. She uh, is the labor columnist. Uh, for Teen Vogue, which we can talk about in a sec. But first of all, labor columnist is a vanishing breed and um, Teen Vogue, not exactly where you'd think to find something like that. So we're gonna talk about that in a second, but also a uh, longtime friend of mine, uh, works up on the eighth floor at the AFL-CIO and that of course, Damon Silvers, uh, director of policy and special counsel for the AFL-CIO, um, which was uh, actually ground zero for the last uh, fun we had in DC uh, last year. Uh, let me just, uh, let me, Damon, let me just start with you. Uh, you know, normally we're downtown. Uh, we would be downtown normally on a, on a Wednesday. Uh, give me your reaction to the events in the Capitol today. Well, uh, Chris, let me just say, let me, before I do that, let me just say um, what a thrill and an honor it is to be on this with, show with Kim. Um, who's uh, with you, yeah, with you, uh, who's like such a tremendous, positive, surprising presence in, in, the, in sort of the discourse about work in our country. And, and so I'm just thrilled to meet you uh, virtually uh, and, uh, um, and, and honored to be with you. Uh, You're making me blush over here in Philly. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyway, so with that, you know, having said that, uh, um, uh, so I, I'm, I'm sorry, I, you know, uh, we're, we're sort of cutting around a little bit here because I, uh, I think because we're sort of in, in post-traumatic shock, uh, you know, um, this is actually nothing to kid about. Um, no. uh, somebody was shot dead in the United States Capitol today. Right. Uh, so. a, a, a young woman, I don't know anything about who she uh, uh, is or was, uh, uh, um, that information is being closely guarded right now. Um, and um, and, uh, we've seen like, we've seen these, these, these scenes that are, uh, um, I, am familiar with these scenes. I, I've, I, I've read about, them. uh, they, um, 
you know, a, a, a group of a, a group of people, uh, you know, uh, egged on by the president of the United States and by uh, leading members of the Republican Party in Congress uh, who addressed their gathering before they did these things, a group of people attacked the capital of the United States and succeeded in breaking into it and occupying uh, the sort of sacred precincts uh, of our republic and our democracy. Um, uh, they uh, appear to have wounded a number of police officers. Uh, I, 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 the, the, the full details, I don't, I don't know, but I've heard, I've heard from people who were in the Capitol and were with wounded officers. Um, uh, there's clearly a, an issue that has got to be looked into as to why the American government in Washington, D.C. Uh, 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 allowed this to happen. Um, I, I, a lot of people don't know this, but there were some serious constraints on local law enforcement and the local National Guard. Uh, they can't get, they can't go on federal property without being asked in a very formal way. Uh, it appears that didn't happen until a lot of stuff had unfolded. Um, uh, I, I think there's going to be a lot of, there's going to be a lot of questions about a lot of these kinds of things. But while those questions are really important and have to be pursued, the real issue here is the attack on our democracy. This wasn't just any day on Capitol Hill. This was the day in which the, the ballots, the properly, uh, uh, the properly processed ballots representing the will of the American people expressed constitutionally uh, through the process by which we elect our president were being counted. And it was clearly the intent of the people involved here to prevent that counting from happening, right? No, and uh, you can't you can't imagine a more direct attack on the Constitution of the United States, on the Demo on the on the notion of a democratic republic, uh, on the on both the, the 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 physical seat of our democracy and the symbols of it. Um, it, it is it, it is as serious. Uh, uh, it is as serious, and the fact that um, in the fact that. Uh, there are, I've seen pictures, uh, there's a picture of Senator Hawley with his fist raised in the air as a salute of solidarity to these people. Uh, the, the president of the United States appears to have encouraged them to march on the Capitol. It's a little unclear what more he said than that. Uh, they were addressed on the Capitol steps um, by a, a congressperson from Illinois who apparently made a favorable reference to Adolf Hitler. Um, uh, the, uh, the, that's the kind of thing we're dealing with here. Uh, the, the, uh, Richard Trumpka, the, the elected president of the AFL-CIO, issued a statement this afternoon saying this was the most serious attack on American democracy since the Civil War, yeah. and that the people who the people who encouraged it, aided it, and abetted it have to be held to account. Um, I, I, I think that the, I mean that's that's what we've got here, but I think it has a. Um, it's also important to understand that at the same time, it is a theater of the fantastical, right? It is, it is not, our democracy is safe tonight, right? Those, those votes are being counted. In the end, the, the National Guard showed up, right? These people don't have the capacity to overthrow our government. They have the capacity to create chaos and to create fear, but they don't have the capacity to overthrow our government or undo our democracy. Uh, but they are a warning. They are a warning sign. And the warning, the warning here is that we are at a point where our government must deliver for ordinary people in our country, must deliver economic and physical security, must deliver prosperity, that the 40-year that the 
the 40-year drift toward radical inequality and the disempowerment of working people has got to stop. I think we've, uh, I think we may be losing a little uh, audio there from, we lost uh, audio. from Damon. So oh. there uh, is. I'm going to go to Kim actually. And Damon, uh, while we're doing that, also there's a light in the room behind you with uh, what looks like your, your lovely holiday tree, which is. Oh, no, no, there's a, there's a, can you hear me now? We can, but I want you to, uh, while I'm talking. I'll to kill you, the light. I'll kill yeah, the light. Thanks. All right, Kim, uh, let me uh, go to you for your reaction, um, wh whatever's on your mind as, as you were watching this. And let, let folks know actually where you are. I think you're up in the Philly area, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, I live in Philly. Okay. Um, I mean, honestly, this was always going to happen. They have been planning this openly and with the support of the president and his cronies for months and years. This, this shouldn't this shouldn't have come as a surprise. Like they told you they were coming. And the biggest surprise that I think a lot of people who maybe aren't as used to engaging in direct action and protest experience was seeing that the police treated them with kid gloves. And anybody who over the summer had been to a Black Lives Matter protest, seeing the incredibly stark difference between the way that Black protesters, protesters of color, anybody who came out for that cause were treated as opposed to these white nationalist like militants who stormed the Capitol armed, shot some, like it, it's, it, it doesn't surprise me because I've been involved in leftist politics for a long time, but I think hopefully that, you know, some of the scales dropped off some people's eyes when it came to that thing. Like the friendly police officer is not always your friend. He's not always there looking out for you. I think today we saw who he's looking out for very a lot of the time and i mean this is something that has been building and building for the entirety of this cursed presidency and even before that i mean this is not the this is perhaps the most spectacular sort of right-wing nationalist mob chaos that we've seen but this has been happening there have been these big rallies and these hate crimes and these actions happening across the country and across the world that have been inspired by this rising wave of fascism like and this you know the the idea of democracy might be safe tonight but these people aren't going nowhere they're mm -hmm. gonna wake up and they're still they're gonna be even madder tomorrow and maybe they made some friends out there in the streets you know there wasn't in this case a massive counter effort for a variety of reasons. One of them being that, you know, there's this sort of perfect storm of the kind of people who don't care about the coronavirus pandemic are the kind of people that would storm the Capitol because they're mad Trump won. A lot of people who decided to protect themselves and their communities stayed home and kept their germs out of everyone's face. And we had 10,000 of these idiots show up in the Capitol just spitting and yelling on top of all the other bullshit. It's just, is violent in so many ways, in so many aspects. And the fact that only 13 people were arrested, I think more people than that were arrested last time we had like a small march in Philly. Like it's it's not something that I, I mean, maybe I don't think a Biden administration will be quite as bad when it comes down to just cracking down on dissent, but this is the United States of America. Dissent has never really been welcomed here. And I don't, I don't know. And it's, it's scary to see this. And I have friends who are on the ground who thank God are home safe, but that's this time, you know, there's always going to be a next time. And I don't know how you fix that. So it's definitely a dark, a dark night here in Philly right. and everywhere else. 
No, and I'm glad you raised that, Kim, because I have to say that when I tuned in and, you know, I just sort of heard a little bit and I, and I saw the video, I think it was on NBC, and I saw these uh, folks sort of streaming in and out of the chamber, right? And I've been in the Capitol, you know, Damon, you've been in the Capitol. I mean, it is very hard to get in there, right? And especially if you're a protester, right? Um, and and I, I thought I must not be seeing what I think I'm seeing because, you know, and, and the few, you know, Capitol Police I saw were just standing there, you know, uh, totally not engaged. Let me bring uh, uh, Jeremy in on this because I'm, your, uh, Jeremy did a really interesting show a couple of months ago. He's with the sheet metal workers and has members who frankly, uh, you know, are, are Trump supporters and has had, had to have some pretty hard conversations. Uh, but your questions or comments from you, Jeremy. Yeah, just to, to, touch on what everybody's saying i th i think it's it's uh it's dire at this point that the there has to be repercussions for the leadership that inspired this what happened today i mean this has been building like uh kim you you had said like this is something that's been building it didn't this wasn't like people woke up yesterday or today and were like you know what we're gonna storm the capitol like this has been the whole pushing the fake media uh and all like the fake news and all like you don't trust what you're hearing or you're seeing trust what I'm telling you that all that stuff like that, that Trump has been pushing and people have been enabling him the whole way. Like the fact that it took like, you know, Mitt Romney comes out today saying what a disgrace this is. Well, if only you all had a chance to do something at some point, like maybe there was an opportunity along the way where we could have avoided all this, but they, they don't, they don't, uh, they don't, they don't hold the, the people accountable because, you know, at some point Mitt Romney wants to be the president or Ted Cruz wants to be the president or Hawley. And so if they take action against Trump now, then they're going to be held to that same standard. If they do nothing, then they don't have to worry. And that's why Trump's been able to push the envelope this for the past four years. And it seems like every he, he breaks every tradition and every uh, rule that he could possibly break and steps over every line and dares the the other people in Congress to do something and they, and they do nothing. They do not. Oh, let's censure them. Okay, great. You put it in the record. Great. What did that do? You know what I mean? That's like telling telling your kid stop doing that and just let them continue to do it. Like, well, I told them what what else can I do? Kim, let me let me go back to you because the uh, a lot of the traffic that I was watching on on, on Twitter was people you know from folks uh, who'd been participating in a lot of uh, Black Lives Matter thing, really drawing a contrast between the the strong police presence and uh, those actions um, to the you know to the I was told I did not see this but I was told that they were even you know being fairly helpful originally when folks showed up at the Capitol. By the time I was watching it, that was not the case. I mean, they seem to, to Damon's point, they, they seem to be pitifully underprepared uh, for what happened, uh, which I don't understand given my experience with the Capitol Police. Uh, but anyway. Isn't the FBI right there? They can't pay attention to Twitter for five minutes and see all the Nazis <laughs> being excited about their big day out in Washington? Man, they've like, been planning, yeah, they've been planning this for weeks, yeah. Yeah, yeah like Enrique Tario from the Proud was, was arrested yesterday. They didn't talk to him. Like, it's just this, this willful ignorance of like, oh, they, how are we going to know? They're, they're, you have the same a, internet you do, and you're the FBI. You have like all kinds of crazy shit. Are you kidding me? What is that hotel? There's a hotel 
uh, like a couple blocks away that oh, the Harrington. Down. Yeah, they shut down this week because right. they knew that that was a popular hangout. So they shut down for the for the good of the people because they didn't want to be like a, a gathering spot. Like, but this was but this was much much larger uh, than than anything. Uh, I was I was shocked. I mean, I really didn't think that many people were going to show up, and it, it was a very large crowd. Well, what I'm saying is, if a hotel knew to take this action, like well. Like our our government, our top age, a law enforcement agencies were, were like caught. There, there's nobody was caught off guard by this. This mm -hmm. is what I'm getting at. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, this is this is something that popped into my head when I was watching all this. Just think about the parallels. The last time I saw that many cops sitting around doing nothing while a bunch of right wing maniacs rampaged through a town, I was in Charlottesville was a couple years ago on August 12th, and I barely survived. And some people didn't. And you'd think after the massive national outcry, half of the presidential candidates had something to say about Charlottesville. They would have thought like, hey, maybe we should like think, like look at this, look at the people involved, look at the factors, and then maybe try to make it not happen again. No, instead we're just gonna continue murdering black people and trying to demonize anti-fascism and Black Lives Matter and just hoping all of these like these Trump people that we don't really understand, but we want votes from, will just go away. Well, 10,000 of them showed up today and they didn't go away, did they? They broke up into your office. Like, it's just, these people it's are supposed more... to be smart enough to rule over us and yet they can't, uh, it's, it's absurd, it's absurd. They took more action to clear a path to a church for a photo op than they did today. I mean, right. Let's let's sort of pivot to uh, looking at it through a, a labor perspective. A couple of things I want to bring up uh, here in D.C. Uh, the Safeway uh, supermarkets in town were shut down at four o'clock. Uh, interestingly, so folks were sent home. Uh, the good news is that they're still going to get paid. So, which is uh, that's sort of good news, bad news. Uh, the subway shut down at eight, um, and the hotels. Uh, I, I don't know how many, but I know that on the uh, hotel worker Twitter feed, uh, they were calling for evacuations. And I know at least some hotels uh, were evacuated. Um, and uh, there was a six o'clock curfew that was put in place. So there were clearly uh, a lot of effects on, on working folks. One of the sort of little things I noticed was when they cleared the chamber, uh, some of the folks who worked there, the um, pages, I think it is, uh, had the presence of mind to grab the boxes of certificates for the votes, which was very smart because guess who showed up a little while later in there and would have been very happy to burn those up. So I, I hope that we find out who it was that was smart enough in that panic to grab the actual votes because um, there's this one picture I'm sure you've all seen of, of one of the, uh, the, the coup, coup folks, you know, sitting in the uh, speaker's chair. Um, so um, I'd, I'd like to get both of your sort of, let's sort of go to more of a worker perspective. And then I also want to talk about the, the Biden administration. Damon, your thoughts? Well, um, can you hear me? Yep. Yeah. So um, I, I, I think that um, it, it's, you know, working people often sort of take it on the chin in any kind of sort of situation like this, uh, or I mean, I don't know what, what there is exactly like this. Um, <laughs> but it's also true that 
you know, uh, when President Trump began to threaten not to obey the results of the election, um, the, uh, the, uh, the AFL-CIO said that ultimately working people, it's work, it, democracy is ultimately defended by the, by the determination of working people to defend it. That, that it's not really, it's not, democracy does not really in the last analysis survive or fail based on the, the, the you know, silver-tongued lawyers or, or, uh, or the press, uh, apologies, Kim, uh, uh, but, you know, you know a, a, as you might think from the way that the press and, and lawyers talk, but it's working people's preparedness to defend it. And, and I think we got a lesson in that today, uh, uh, Chris. I think we got a, a really serious lesson in that, right? Can, can we count on the people? Who, can, we, can we really count on the instruments of government to defend our republic at, at, at the last analysis hopefully we can in the end the guard but but it was uh, there, there was something really disturbing about this day along those lines i think there's another way of looking at it though which i think is more important and it connects with 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 the biden administration the 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 environment we've got here and jeremy was talking about it a minute or two ago uh um you know, the majority of union members voted for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, but mm -hmm. there's no question that, that working people are politically divided in this country. Significant numbers of working people voted for Donald Trump, right? That's just a fact. Too many did. And too many, and, and too many people believe today that Donald Trump is actually defending our democracy because they are wrapped up in a, in a sort of, in a, in a miasma, a fog of lies that are being put out uh, not by working people, but by billionaires like uh, uh, um, Rupert Murdoch uh, and the people uh, who are behind every one of these new kind of media things that that kind of pyramid on top of Fox News. And the but there's a reality underneath that. The reality of that is that is the reality of that is that through administration after administration, Democratic administrations and Republican administrations, income inequality weakened, and the economic security of ordinary people has been deteriorating. Joe Biden is very clear that he wants to reverse that. And we just got a warning sign today, which is that if we don't, right, there are people with fascist solutions ready and waiting. And they mean business. Yep. Kim, your most recent column is uh, what the labor movement wants from a Joe Biden administration. And uh, one of my favorite quotes is uh, having a Democrat occupying the hot seat, that would be Mr. Biden, is much better for US workers than the alternative. But let's be clear, a wet dish rag would still be better than what we ended up with last time. <laughs> Good stuff, Kim. <laughs> I mean, I have, I don't have that much faith in the whole electoral thing anyway. I, you know, I couldn't I tell. But um, I mean, as, as Damon was saying, when it comes to, even we're talking about today, right? The people that get screwed over the most are working people, working class people, poor people who they're not on Twitter all day. They don't know, they didn't see that there's a curfew going out. They're trying to go home. 
They're trying to get back from work. They're trying to live their lives, which is hard enough as it is because they're probably not making enough. They probably don't have good health care. They probably have other people to take care of. And now they have to deal with this wave of armed fascist maniacs fucking up their commute. Like all of this, <laughs> this like brutalist political theater, it hurts working people and poor people the most, even the ones that aren't even trying to be involved. And that's something that happens so often when it comes to what our government and like the, the grand political theater gets up to. The people who need the most help are inconvenienced and harmed the most while other people are giving speeches and waving flags and pretending they have all the answers. Clearly they don't know shit because look at where we're at, you know? I mean, when it comes to the idea of labor defending democracy, one of the things that I thought was really incredible that happened over the past few months was the Vermont AFL-CIO passed a resolution in a strike authorization vote pledging to enact a general strike if it, if it came down to it, if, if they felt like that was what was needed to defend democracy in their state and elsewhere. And honestly, I kind of want to text the president and be like, yo, so how do you feel about all this, my dude? But even just something like that, which may be dismissed by some as, oh, it's a gesture. That's, I mean, that's necessary. Like silver tongued lawyers and, you know, Pollyanna journalists like me, like we're not as important in the grand scheme as the people who are willing to lay everything on the line and fight for what is right and what they need and fight for the person standing next to them. And I mean, the incoming administration, obviously it's a lot better than the last one. The bar is very low. It is not that hard to be better than Donald Trump, but we have the person coming in who built a lot of his reputation and a lot of his appeal on the idea that he actually cares about working people and he wants to be the most pro-union president ever. And like, cool, like try by all means. I mean, I don't have that much faith in anybody at that level of anything, but at least the dude speaks the language. When I I interviewed Sarah Nelson, the president of the AFA CDOA the other day, and she was saying to me, like, at least he, if there's a baseline understanding. We don't have to explain to him why this stuff matters. And that saves us a lot of time. And I think that's a valuable, valuable perspective on it, right? And in the column that I was going through, just all these things that he should do. And now that I think as of a couple hours ago, the Democrats basically control the Senate, like, they can do stuff now. Like, and God willing, they will, because they're so used to not doing stuff. They're probably a little afraid, but hopefully they'll pay attention to what the people need and be like, oh, hey, ProAct, what's up? Hey, let's fix OSHA. Hey, let's give people money. Hey, let's figure out health care. There's like, a, like, let's decriminalize sex work. Let's decriminalize weed. Like, there's so many things they could do to help people. And now they don't really have an excuse not to, that it's kind of a game of like, like Damon was saying, like, there are people on the other side who have very terrible answers to these basic questions. And now it's like, okay, ball is in your court. Hopefully you don't whiff. I think you could be called a lot of things, but Pollyanna journalist, probably not one of them. Kim. <laughs> uh, I but no, so much. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you just ran through, you know, a, a great checklist of, of stuff. Um, but I, I'm reminded that uh, the, you know, the last time the Democrats controlled the presidency, the House and the Senate, uh, when Obama came in and uh, the PRO Act at that time was unfortunately called uh, EFCA. Am I right, Damon? The, the well, it, it was a somewhat different bill. The, 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 the PRO Act is a much better one. Uh, but, but labor law reform was the Employee Free Choice Act. The, 
my, my point is we had we had everything lined up like we do today and uh, unless I missed something uh, it never even got brought up for a vote in the Senate so uh, I'm a little bit I'm, I'm very much in, with Kim on on being very cynical hopeful but very cynical about you know whether we're going to get any movement so Damon do you want to give us a little reality check here give us some hope give us some, <laughs> what do you got for us? All right. Well, I, I mean, I think that this there is an, an incredibly important agenda for our country that has to be done right now, and uh, uh, restore giving working people the chance to speak for themselves in the workplace, which is what the Pro Act is about, and about making the right to strike a real right, which is what the Pro Act is about. Um, that is critical to saving our democracy right now. If, if we can't, if we can't, if we can't have an economy where working people be benefit from the, from the work they do, and we can't have a democracy where working people people's voice is heard, we're going to end up. What happened today is going to is just is just the beginning of what is going to happen, right? Because um, what we're seeing this kind of homegrown fascism that we're seeing, right? Just like the thing it's modeled on, just like Hitler and Mussolini. It's not about saying to working people, well, just tough, fine, right? You know, you're being economic injustice, well, just grin and bear it, right? That's kind of like the neoliberal idea, right? That like just tough. That's not what they say. They, what those people say is, yeah, you're being treated unjustly. Yeah, you're being hurt, right? But why? Because, you know, because people who are racially inferior to you are in power. Because there's a conspiracy of, you know, Jews to, 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 to hurt you or whatever that that's that's what they have in mind and, and that's the program that that's the program they're running and if the underlying economic injustices are there at the level that they are today right that 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 is a and the the genius of America in the 20th century was that at the time when that when we could have been swallowed by that in the 1930s uh, we put forward a different kind of politics a, a, a genuinely democratic politics and a politics of democracy in the workplace. And that's what we need to do now. But it can't just be that because our economy desperately needs more jobs and more good jobs. And we have to take on the crises that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are talking about. We have to take on the crisis of racial injustice. We have to take on the crisis of climate change. We have to take on the crisis of COVID, uh, which is, <laughs> You wouldn't know it for what happened today in America, but it's not going away, right? And in fact, it's getting worse very rapidly. Uh, those, we need, we need massive, massive investment in our country. And, we, and, and then we need reform so that like, you can actually vote and have your vote count and count on having your vote count. This kind of, this agenda, I, I, I believe that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are deeply committed to this agenda. And I saw Joe Biden on national television tell big company CEOs, look, I'm a union guy. Union is going to be more powerful now. I have not heard anyone else do that uh, from that position in my lifetime. So I think we have a shot. But the idea that we can like just like leave it to the lobbyists or something like that, uh-uh. Right? The, 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 to, to, to get anything done in this situation, anything, we are going to have to fight for it as a labor movement, uh, as a mobilized democracy. We're going to have to. 
uh, and the stakes have been made apparent today. Right? And I the, think the, the anyway. No, I think Kim, that's exactly how you end up your column. That's exactly your point. Is that we're going to have to fight for it? Um, I want to just uh, uh, Jeremy just uh, uh, give me a message here. We were talking just before we went on the air. Uh, you know, we, uh, Kim was wondering what, what the hell uh, you know, Trump has to do to get kicked off of Twitter. Apparently, they've locked his account for 12 hours and con they're considering, <laughs> considering permanent, permanent uh, suspension. suspension. Uh, I mean, by permanent, I hope they mean permanent be beyond when he leaves the White House. But I want to finish up with, with this, um, which is I, I do, do want to talk about Georgia because I think that Georgia has ramifications beyond just Georgia. Uh, so let me let me kick it back to you, Kim, for for your sort of thoughts about the implication of Georgia and and what role labor played uh, in that. Right. Well, building on what Damon was just saying, you know, we have we've had this whole thing happen today that kind of stole everybody's attention. But yesterday, one of the I think the the blueprint for the kind of unions we need going forward. I think Unite Here really exemplified that fighting spirit, that spirit of militancy and of empathy and of a real commitment to racial justice. These people that were, I think it was initially 98% of their membership were laid off unemployed throughout this crisis. I think it's down to 75%, still 75%. A majority of them are black and brown, women, immigrant workers, some of the most marginalized workers that we have. And over a thousand of them, thousands of them have spent so much time getting out the vote and uh, door knocking, confessing, doing, having deep conversations with people. They've committed so much to flipping the Senate, to this Georgia race, to the past presidential election. Like, even if you're, you know, not the most thrilled about the whole electoral thing like me, like, I am so impressed. And I'm wondering, like, why isn't every union doing that? Obviously, not every union has the same politics. Now, labor is not a monolith. There's differing opinions within every union. Even my union, I'm in like a fancy Hollywood union. But, you know, the potential is there. And organizing around these bread and butter issues and around issues that sometimes get left out of the bread and butter conversation. Like racial justice is just as important as getting a raise or protecting your pension. You know, taking care of your coworkers who are trans or genderqueer, looking after people, like taking care of your disabled coworkers, it's all the same thing. It should all be essential. And I think going into this next chaotic, hopefully maybe a little bit better period, like looking at that example of Unite Here and uh, yeah, the culinary union out, well, I guess they're subsidiated, whatever. Unite here is killing it, but that, that's a blueprint that a lot of us in the movement can follow. Like what uh, Sarah Nelson's union, the AFA, CWA, they achieved with um, oh, so many acronyms. It's like the payroll supplemental program, you know, where they, they basically went to Congress and were like, yo, here is the bill, this worker first agenda, where like, you're going to give us a bunch of money and we're going to spend it how we want, taking care of our people, and you're going to sign that. And then they did. Like, obviously, the, yeah, it's an eighty percent organized industry, which is a big, you know, a big plus. But like, there have been these wins that you know maybe haven't gotten as much attention because the world is chaos. But those are the blueprints that we can be following to really become the inclusive, fighting, vital labor movement that we need to be. Because like, we're really in an organize or die kind of kind of moment, and we have the tools and we have the people power. We just need a plan and you no know, i'm not in charge but the people that are in charge hopefully 
you can put in a word over the AFL CIO, we can get some shit going. Yeah. We're talking to the hey, right Chris. guy. We're talking to the right guy right here, Damon. So <laughs> organizer die would but tell us, you know, uh, Georgia. Georgia. So I, I just I just wanna sort of uh, fill out what, what Kim was saying. You know, labor movement is not always like all on the same page, all coordinated, all tight, right? No. I mean, that's just a reality, right? It, Wait a we're, we're, There's no Santa Claus either. Is that what you're telling right. me? Yeah. <laughs> but we, but we were in Georgia. Yes. But we were in Georgia. That's right. Um, we made more phone calls as a national labor movement to Georgia voters than there are Georgia voters. That Think about like, that for a second. Sounds like fake news, dude. <laughs> it's not. It's not. I didn't say that all the phone calls went through. Oh, okay. I'm saying, right. okay. I, I'm saying right. that, that as a labor movement, okay. all, all right. across this country, in every state, we made more phone calls into Georgia than there are voters in Georgia. I see. All right. uh, and that's not counting the text messages and the postcards and the doors that were knocked on. The entire labor movement in every state in Georgia, for sure, and in every state of the country was in motion. But I think there is a larger, there's a larger lesson here. Uh, which is that, look, we won Georgia by like a hair's breadth. I mean, like, <laughs> it was so close. It was very close. And what that means is everybody matters. Is that everybody who did anything in Georgia matters. And if the labor movement had not turned out and done what we done, I, 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 I'm not sure. But you sure as hell can say that if Stacey Abrams and the people that she had organized and motivated in Georgia didn't do what they did, right, it wouldn't it would not have turned out this way. And if um, if the candidates hadn't been who those candidates were, I mean, the the, the, the disciples of Dr. King and, and, and of John Lewis, you know, you, if if all these people whose names we do not know hadn't done in their communities in Georgia what they did. It would not. It would not have come out. And I think that, it, you know, on the one hand, I think we can hold our head as a labor movement nationwide. We can hold our head very high here. Every union. Right? Uh, and, but I also think that we need to be aware of the fact that we did not do it alone, right? right? And that there is a history, a general, a, a history of struggle in Georgia, and there are people in graves who fought that struggle so this day could be, right? And that we were, we're, we're honored as a labor movement to be part of that, right? That, that, that you know, you just need to understand something about the history of that, that state. Um, you know, I, uh, and not just the history, but the present, right? The, the, the reality like, you know, Dalton, Georgia, Right, it, it, it's where Trump did his rally is the carpet manufacturing center of the United States. It's full of, of immigrant workers who can't vote, being paid nothing. Right, it, it's it, there's like a there's a whole thing here that that has come together by a hair's breadth and brought justice and victory, and we just need to understand how much it's all, how much it's how much it all it's it's a coming together of a whole bunch of different things. But we all, and so we, we need to see that, but we also need to see something else, which is that we can't govern the country on a 50.02% uh, uh, majority. You can't do that. You win an election, but you can't govern that way, right? We have got 
we have got to have a much more politically unified working class here if we have any chance of, in the, of, of making serious change and holding on to serious power. Absolutely, absolutely, well said. Kim, any final thoughts? This is why we need better labor education in schools for one. Damn, I'm only one person, damn. Justify, sister. <laughs> well, but I mean, seriously, I mean, you have a great platform with Team Vogue. And, and again, I think that's, it's such a, a, a brilliant place to be. I'm sure that there are plenty of other places that are trying to try, grab you up, but I mean, that, no, but I think that's a, that's a place where a lot of folks are, you know, who need to hear, uh, you know, and, and you, and the other thing about you, you don't talk down to that audience. I mean, that, that, you know, your columns are, but anyway, final, final thoughts. I mean, that connection, I mean, I'm being a team Vogue is really, it's really cool. It's fun because <laughs> the, my editors there really appreciate what I'm trying to do, which is to educate, you know, not even just the younger generation, but everyone who might not have been a giant nerd like me and picked up, you know, strike or any of the, the classic labor tomes before now, like every, almost all of us are workers. All of us need to know our own history. We're never going to get anywhere if we don't understand where we come from. Like that, the way I write my columns, is, that's just who I am. Like I'm a college dropout. I grew up in the middle of nowhere, third generation union brat. And I somehow get to do this. And I'm still an independent contractor too. So this is not, it's not like being on easy street, you know, like I, I just, that's why I call myself a Pollyanna earlier. I just, unions have really changed my life and gotten me to where I am without them. I don't think my family would have made it when I was younger. So it's, it matters a lot to me. And I want everyone to have the chance to feel that power and feel that safety and security and feel that, that spark, you know, like it feels good to sing solidarity forever. It feels good to get one over on the man. It feels good to get a raise, you know, and we all, all workers deserve that. And I think, you know, educating people about our history is going to just bring us closer together because even if you don't agree on, even if you voted for two different people or didn't vote at all, there are still things that unite us as workers and as people are in the working class. And you can, I think we can get to it a level of understanding, if not outright agreement, there are still some things that are universal, you know, and I don't know. I, I have a lot of hope about everything and I'm writing a book about the whole thing. So hopefully, you know, I'm on to something. <laughs> no, and, and, and Kim, I want to thank you because I knew that this, this whole segment was going to be tough and we really had to go there in terms of talking about this stuff. It's in the news and we need to process it. But you have managed to, uh, both of you have managed to come out in a, in a pretty positive, uh, you know, hopeful place. And so I thank you both for that. Uh, it's been, Kim, wonderful to meet you and, and Damon, always good. Damon's a neighbor. He's, he's uh, like three blocks over from me, although I haven't seen him in eight months. So. <laughs> uh, but I thank you both so much, uh, not only for being on the show, but for you know, everything uh, that you're doing uh, in, in this struggle. And I look forward to, to seeing you here uh, again. So thanks very much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. We're going to win. You, yes, we are. Yes, we are. <laughs> All right. Uh, up next, and that's Kim Kelly, of course, a labor columnist for Teen Vogue and Damon Silvers with the AFL-CIO. A lot of work still to do. Uh, but speaking of music, uh, we've got a singer-songwriter up next, uh, George Mann, uh, up uh, near my old hometown of Rochester, New York. He's in Ithaca. Uh, and uh, if, if uh, 
Evan has it queued up. I think we have a song that's going to cue us uh, very nicely um, from this political segment. It's the same feed, it just has more info. Uh, this is going to be fun. Donnie took a dump all over Twitter. Not for the ball wants everyone to see. It's 3 a.m., but Donnie, he's no quitter. He's pumping out that crap to you and me. Down here on the farm, we're all watching with alarm. There ain't nowhere that we can run away from that hurricane of hate. That's how he communicates. Can't wait to see just what he'll spew today. Donnie took a dump all over Twitter. Now Bullet Bowl wants everyone to see. It's 3 a.m., but Donnie, he's no quitter. He's bumping out that crap to you and me. I am just a simple man. I thought I had a plan. It was a minivan and a picket fence for me. Now I'm standing in this mob, one more guy without a job. And those stupid tweets don't bring me no relief. Donnie took the dump all over Twitter. Now Bullet Bowl wants everyone to see. It's 3 a.m., but Donnie, he's no quitter. He's pumping out that crap to you. took a dump all over Twitter, which um, I don't know, his dumping days may be about done, George. You heard that um, Twitter apparently suspended his account for 12 hours and uh, is considering permanently banning him. Although, as uh, we were talking with uh, Kim Kelly just a little while ago, we're trying to figure out what might do it. Maybe, maybe he finally crossed that line. Anyway, uh, George Mann, singer, songwriter, and a former union organizer, activist, and as I mentioned at the top there, uh, not too far from my hometown and up in upstate New York. He's in Ithaca 
and uh, has been sort of stuck there for the last eight months. Uh, you normally do quite a bit of traveling around, right, George? Well, yes, good evening. Happy New Year. Nice to see Happy you again, Chris. That yeah. was way back from, from my last union organizing job at the Newspaper Guild almost 20 years ago. But, uh, but yeah, after, after oh, about, uh, I don't even remember, 11 years uh, total working in the labor movement, something like that, I took the vow of poverty and became a folk singer uh, full-time about 2010 and moved to Ithaca from New York City, uh, where I am now, uh, up in Ithaca, in the hills of Ithaca, with my two cats. And uh, I'm glad you started with the most deep, serious song on my new record. But, <laughs> but uh, coming out of the conversation and, and out of the, the horrible events of today, I mean, you know, uh, yeah, the, the, the ugly fascism reared its head and one person's dead. From what I heard, it was apparently a Trumper shot by a guard, I would assume. Um, I haven't, you know, can't confirm that, but that's the gossip I'm seeing on Twitter or did see before I came on, you know, uh, you know we came on. But it's a sad day in, in the United States. And, and uh, you know, amongst all the hope that we have that the four years of Trump is ending, um, this is how it's going to end. And you know, I knew it was going to come down to that. I said it to several friends. They're going to have a, a real shit storm in the, and they're going to storm the Capitol. They were predicting it yesterday. They were calling for it all over Twitter. So it's no surprise that it came to pass. As you all were discussing, um, it, it's, it, it is going to be curious to see what kind of investigation yields about where was the security? It reminds me of 9-11. We only had four planes in the air that night, that morning, covering the whole eastern seaboard, you know? We had anyway. uh brother patrick on our our uh, message board here said his dentist canceled his appointment today because he knew it was going to be bad oh yeah in dc sure oh yeah but they're boarding things up let's be clear folks you you really and i think kim said this very clearly you really don't have to be a conspiracy theorist or apparently even the fbi you know these folks were being fairly transparent and they, it knew was, they were coming <laughs> Well, also, you know, those of us, and, and I think, you know, Damon's still on, you know, anybody here in D.C., when the Prod Boys were in town last time, the Harrington is a place I know well. It's got a great bar, actually. <laughs> the rest, restaurant, not so good, let's be honest, but the bar is actually pulls a great Guinness. And, um, you know, and, and the Proud Boys were hanging out there and took over the streets and assaulting passersby. I mean, you know, if you just happen to be walking by and weren't with them, then you got beat up. So, you know, it was very clear that these folks, you know, and, and, and the only reason they didn't beat up folks in Freedom Plaza was because the cops were prepared that day and did their job. And so, you know, as I think uh, both Kim and Damon were saying, you know, the question of what exactly happened this time is, is going to be uh, very interesting. But George, I want to talk about, you know, it, it, it does not surprise me uh, you know, whenever I meet, you know, a, a, a musician who's doing labor songs or, or songs about working folks, they almost always turn out to be a former union organizer. And hmm. I, I'm going to tell you my theory, and you can just, you know, you can straighten me out. But my theory is that when you're an organizer, you got to communicate with people. And you got to talk to a lot of people, you got to talk to them where they are. And they're in a lot of different places, as, as Jeremy will tell you, his members are all over the map politically. And so you got to, and, and so music, I think, is, is, is a really, turns out to be a really good way to do that. That's my theory. What do you, what do you think? Uh, you can tell well, me if I'm- I, I was a musician before I became a union organizer, but, 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 but becoming a union organizer led me to 
the IWW, led me to Utah Phillips, led me to Billy Bragg, led me to Ann Feeney, led me to John Fromer, led me to all these great artists that we all know and love, Charlie King, Magpie, uh, Joe Jenks, all these wonderful folk artists that, that are friends of mine, you know, the, the ones who are still alive and, uh, and who mentored me, Pete Seeger even, you know, I got to sing with Pete Seeger a few times. I got to produce a record with Rick Polari that honored Pete Seeger and Woody Guthrie and the Almanac singers six months before Pete died. So, you know, so some of these, log, you know, I mean, that in 250 gets me on the subway. I think it's 275 <laughs> now in New York. I've been gone for 10 years, but, uh, but you know, but the music, um, it, it was always in me and the love of this kind of music, the labor folk music, the music of struggle. I mean, I was writing these kinds of songs when I was 18. I just wasn't in the union movement, you know? Uh, it took me a good eight or 10 years till I really learned about the history. And, uh, and of course, you know, some of our great, great martyrs like Joe Hill and Woody Guthrie and, and many others. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, so I still honor that kind of work in my music and the new album, while I write a lot of my own songs, um, which side are you on is on the new record, a rock and reggae version and, and Utah Phillips, who was a great mentor and, and great songwriter and IWW member, uh, his song all used up is on the new record too. And, um, we did this new record in, 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 horrible conditions. We had to, first of all, the studio shut down for four months with the coronavirus from March to June. And then when we picked up in July, we were all wearing masks, as you saw in some of the photos in that video video um and you know couldn't get together couldn't sing together you know couldn't even sit in the control room with the engineer we had to listen back on headphones in a separate setup you know so that whole process uh of making a record was different and um and of course uh, colored to some degree by what's been going on you know i mean we've all lost our anybody who's a gig worker like me you know unfortunately i, I do a lot of work with nursing and veterans homes and i'm still doing a little bit of that but if you were a touring folk musician like me you're living on unemployment if you're getting it or whatever you can beg borrow and steal and, and get from friends and fans you know there's no live performing anywhere i was supposed to be in australia for four weeks in october and two weeks this month and both those tours got canceled seven eight months ago we knew they were they were canceled you know and there's no no hope of coming back anytime in the next six months so we're all having it hard and um you know but in the midst of all that you know you're, you're a lot of time at home so i wrote songs for the new record let me bring uh, Jeremy uh, Watt in. He's my co-host. Um, he hosts a, a podcast called The Break Time Breakdown, which is uh, out of Sheet Metal Workers uh, with his local, uh, I think it's 110 out of uh, Louisville, yes. right? Right. Yeah. But uh, the other thing you need to know about Jeremy, he's a musician himself. So uh, that's one of the reasons I wanted him to co-host today because I, I knew he'd bring, he'd bring that perspective. So go ahead, Jeremy. Well, so my first question, George, is how did you get that that phenomenal bass sound out of a Rubbermaid trash can. <laughs> well, the video was a joke, of course. Of course. Um, the, um, the album was almost finished and that was one of the last two songs on the record or the last two songs I wrote right at the end of the process uh, that was written in, in August. And we, uh, and we were doing a couple of other songs with the band, you know, the, the musicians I've been playing with, great musicians out of Ithaca, uh, Doug Wellen, uh, I mean, uh, Doug Robinson on bass, playing that bass, beautiful Fender Precision, by the way, uh, and, and Michael Wellen, the drummer, and Rich DiPaolo on guitar. Uh, Mary Lorson singing on most of the album, a wonderful vocalist. Uh, they're all my friends from Ithaca and they've been on my last two records. Um, but we actually, we, we, we put that together as a joke. You know, I mean, uh, Donnie took a dump all over Twitter, just had a lot of good ring to it. 
and, yeah. uh, and, uh, and we think we make it kind of hokey and put it in the backyard. You know, we, we actually did one and a half takes of that song before the rain came pouring down in the middle of the second take. So what you see of us singing in the backyard was basically uh, all we got. We didn't have much to, to choose from, uh, but, but we got it out in time for the election. And that was the other thing. You know, I've always made topical music. And so I released that album. There's a song I knew you were going to think about. You were thinking about playing the fish always rots from the head, which yeah. I think is much more pertinent and a little more serious and talks about our workers and how hard it is to even stand up for a strike in the middle of what it was. Now that song was a year or two old. I wrote that a year and a half ago, almost, you know, uh, it was the first song written for the new record, but um, there's a video for that too. Uh, but uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's, pull let's, that see. One let's see if uh, Evan, if we can cue that up, let's play a little bit about it. That's a great yeah, song. And that's a song that really, you know, takes aim at Trump. And, and what I've always tried to do is, you know, make sure that there's a, a working class element in my songs. I, I came out of labor movement, as you, you know, as you mentioned, and you know, it's uh, I don't write as many labor songs as I used to, but I always put a couple on each record. All right, let's take a listen. Oop, jumped ahead. That's a different song, a good that's, song. That's John's song. There we go. There we go. day with the fishing rod, another day on the dock so hot, but the water's running cold. The fish have all been fished up here, the smart ones long ago disappeared. None of these straits are paved with gold. My grandpa, he's a working man. Still provides whenever he can But today he just explodes It's the same old story we've all been told The rich get richer and we just get old It's the same old lesson we've never learned The player with fire and you won't get burned We'll our last them in this fight But they can't stand too long out in the light Cause the fish always rots from the head Yeah, the fish always rots from the head When the head smells bad as that one does You can tell that fish is dead Yeah, the fish always rots from the head Second shift in the assembly line They work you hard but that's just fine There's no time left to care You got no union and no boss here They laid 300 off last year They say you're lucky to be working there It's the same old story we've all been told 
The rich get richer and we just get old It's the same old lesson we've never learned Don't play with fire and you won't get burned But we'll outlast them in this fight Well, they can't stand too long out in the light Cause the fish always rots from the head Yeah, the fish always rots from the head when the head smells bad as that one does You can tell that fish is dead Yeah, the fish Always rots from the head Yeah, the fish Always rots from the head Fish always rots from the head. I'm not a fisherman, but even I knew that was true. Uh, Chris Garlock here with Jeremy Waugh. This is the Labor Radio Podcast Network's weekly live stream. It's our first show of the year. And uh, I tell you what, Jeremy, we are really uh, kicking it out. Uh, 2021 is going to be a great year. And I know you got another question for George. Yeah, I do. Uh, so actually, two things, George. Where, where this would be a chance for you to plug this. Where can we find this? Are you available on like iTunes? Or- he tell you a musician. He knows. He knows. Plug the plug the product. Plug the product. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I'll just make it brief. You can download me on any one of them: iTunes, Amazon, you know, uh, YouTube. You can stream me on all the streaming platforms. Uh, if you want to help a musician out, the best way to buy my music is through me. Uh, if you want to order a CD, um, my website, georgeman.org, has a store right there. You use PayPal. It's all secure. You can, you know, there's ways to order and just mail in. You can communicate with me on Facebook or just, you know, right on my website, there's a link to email me. But um, no, if you want to download, you know, um, you know, as you know, the problem is the streaming services, they pay really terribly. Sure. Uh, so the, you know, I always try to encourage people to buy the CD. Uh, and the new album is called The Coronavirus Sessions. There's 12 songs on it. So you can hear there's videos for five or six of them on georgeman.org, you know, my website. That's man with two N's. So thanks. So that, um, and, you know, the thing about the music business, as you know, is it's changed so much. You know, we used to be able to go out and tour and make, you know, 50 or 100 bucks a night on CDs minimum separate from what you'd make playing, whether you were getting a fee or playing for the door, however it works as a folk singer those, in those days, you know. Uh, and, and now, of course, we're all stuck at home. So, you know, the only way that musicians are surviving are, are online concerts. I've done a few of them. Um, I might do one, you know, in the new year, you know, but with everything going on with the election in the last month or two and the holidays, I figured people had enough to see and do. Um, but it's, a, you know, as Chris mentioned, it's a, a good time to be optimistic, you know, uh, and hopeful after the last four years, you know. Can you just imagine what the next four years would be like if Trump had won? <laughs> no. <laughs> Think about that. Please, um, right? And did you have another question, Jeremy? Uh, yeah. So you said, uh, obviously, because of COVID, uh, recording in the studio was was different. So you guys, were you guys, um, did, did you do anything in the same room? Like, were, 
Did they have like? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, well, when we recorded rhythm tracks, the uh, I recorded in a beautiful church called Wilburland, uh, just outside of Ithaca. You can find it on the web, Wilbur, like uh, W-I-L-B-U-R. It's a 1908 church, and one of the reasons I moved to Ithaca 10 years ago was because I love this studio, and I started recording there 10, 12 years ago more. Um, and so when we got together to record the drummers in the drummer's booth, you know, kind of mm. baffled off the bass player six feet away with his mask on playing through his headphones and, you know, being mic'd and amped and the guitar plays in another section of the, the big church room. It's got to be 40 by 80 probably is the main room. Uh, and I was in the uh, side room, you know, playing my acoustic guitar and singing vocals. Yeah. So, you know, we had to be isolated. I mean, microphones were cataloged and would be, sanitized and labeled and not used for a minimum of two days after someone was, unless I was singing it two days in a row myself. Uh, Will, the owner of the studio has a son who has immuno issues and doesn't want to bring COVID home. So we were very careful. And that's, you know, that's why the album got being called the coronavirus sessions. It was kind of a joke, but, but, uh, but, you know, it, it did affect how things happen. And the other thing was the four month off gave me time. I wrote four more songs of the record in that time and killed two that I didn't like. So it gave me some choice over the album. Yeah. Did you, uh, did you guys get to, like, how did you practice or rehearse? Did you do any rehearsals? Oh yeah. Well, again, the, the band is not a, I'm not, I, these are my friends. They play their workers. They're great musicians. They work for hire, of course, and they're, they'll play with me and they have for years, some of them. Um, but we, we rehearsed because we recorded seven songs before the COVID hit in March. So it was only the last four that got done after we came back in July. Uh, and with the full rhythm section, yeah, we had that session where we had to keep everybody isolated. But when we had vocalists, for example, Rich and Mary came in and sang with me one day where they're doing harmonies, not with me at the same time doing lead, but they sang together, but 20 feet apart. You, yeah. you know, you everything is you sterilized. You wear a, ma a new mask every day you come in and, you know, Again, nobody wants COVID, man. I mean, I, oh, no. uh, um, you know, I sing for homes where they lost 30 or 40 people in some of the homes I sing in. I lost dozens of residents, elderly people I've known, like my grandparents for seven, eight years. Uh, Corning Hospital got hit. 35 people died in three weeks there in October when they got hit with the wave. Um, you know, I've been singing there for seven years. I know those people very well. Some of the first people I ever met died. I've lost so many senior citizens and veterans that I sing for. You know, typically when I'm not on tour, I sing for nursing and veterans homes 10 gigs a week, typically uh, when I'm not touring. I, I'll do two or three a day if I, if I can make it work, you know, and you, you drive around different parts upstate and sing for people. But, but the other part of my work was touring and going out, you know, Australia, West Coast. I did Labor Day out in Butte, Montana a year and a half ago. Would have been there again this September. Uh, but it got canceled. May Day at the Bottle House in Patterson, New Jersey is a concert I've been doing for 20 years. You know, concerts, uh, you know, up and down the, the Great Labor Arts Exchange, of course, which Chris has been part of. We had to hold virtually. So everything has changed. And, um, you know, uh, those of us who make music, though, of course, I have the ability to make music at home, but I, I don't have the skill to make it sound like it sounds like you're hearing it in the studio. Man, That's a I Grammy winning studio I record at. And uh, it's a beautiful studio. Will Russell built. It's called Wilburland, and a lot of wonderful artists have recorded there over the years. And uh, sure. you know. talk talk a little bit more about your work with the nursing homes because obviously you know it's very uh, impactful in terms of the the residents. But I'm also thinking that's where uh, a lot of our essential workers are and the folks who have to go work there. Mm -hmm. And then my understanding is that one of the reasons that you saw a lot of spread among nursing homes is because the pay. 
uh, is, is so lousy in many of them, especially the for-profit ones, which, you know, a for-profit nursing home, there's something wrong with that. Yes. Um, but they have to work at multiple nursing homes. So you'd have, you know, these workers going from nursing home to nursing home and carrying it. So I'm just curious about what you've seen, what you think. Sure. Well, of the homes I was singing for, probably over 50 homes in upstate New York, a total that I would rotate in and out of some of them once every week, once every month, once every two months, whatever it was. Um, only about, I'd say, 10 or 12 of them were union. Uh, for you know, maybe a couple more than that. Uh, of course, the public facilities, the VA facilities, and the state veterans homes are public. You know, unions representing the workers there, uh, or, or you know, you know, NISNA, you know, things like that are in there. CSEA was in there. Uh, you would get SEIU in the private come. You know, and, and certainly you see better conditions where there is a union. <laughs> I mean, you know, they, and they have the union label usually on the front door often mm -hmm. uh, of a union facility. But but you know, most of these private ones are non-union, and so. You you're right, Chris, these workers are working for low wages and they might not be getting enough hours. So they're bouncing around. But again, you can't blame. I mean, this, this, you know, I could have gotten COVID any time in the last eight months, no matter how careful I was. Right. I mean, you know, it, Corning kept it out till late September, the hospital I was talking about a few minutes ago. And all of a sudden it, somebody brought it in there. And it wiped out 25 people on one floor. I mean, all of a sudden, 40 people there I used to sing for, there was only 12 left or 13 wow. left, you know? Uh, so it's horrible. The workers are stressed incredibly. And, um, you know, again, we get back to issues of patient, you know, worker-patient ratios, right? You know, have break times, things like that, time away. Um, how often... PPE was available, right? Or, or changes of PPE in the early months. Right, you know, could, could they were they bringing their own, buying their own in some cases, right? So yeah, so uh, it's a, it's a this is a, a horrible pandemic, and I don't want to look at you know blame, laying blame. You know, you end up like no, 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 no not not that you were, but 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 certainly you know uh, the conditions are horrible, and and some of the better homes that I've sung and got hit just as bad as the as the bad ones, and I can tell the difference when I walk in whether it's a good home or a bad home, you know, um, in terms of the conditions, and and even here in Ithaca, we just had one hit. You know, I live in Ithaca, which is a very prosperous area. You know, Cornell's here, Ithaca, and we have five or six nursing homes. Well, this one just got hit three weeks ago. They lost 12 people, you know, in a week or so right before Christmas. And then once it goes through the old age people, it's, it, you know, the real problem is keeping the workers safe so that you don't, you have, you know, the snowballing effect of understaffing, right? You don't mm -hmm. want to, you know, you need people to relieve these people and the kind of stress they're under. So uh, let's hope we're close to the end. Um, I, I hope we can get back to live performance uh, for, in all respects, you know, I mean, you know, plays, you know, musicals, orchestras, operas, choruses, all, you know, all, all these things that bring love and joy to people. Music brings joy and hope and, and, and soothes the, you know, soothes the, the, the horrors of daily life that we experience. And, and I think that's the biggest problem, you know, through, I mean, like I said, I, I, I connect with the people on, on, on the camera. And some of these people I dearly love and have known for years, but it's not the same as being in the same room with them. That's so, right. um, so yeah, so for all our workers, you know, they've done an incredible job. And, you know, uh, I hope now with some leadership coming into the White House and some coordination, uh, we can get the pandemic under control. But to be honest, I mean, I was planning to be in Australia again next October. I don't think that tour is going to happen either. It's probably 2022 before international travel becomes safe and viable for, for, mm -hmm. for performers and people who work and travel. 
Hey, before we wrap up this segment, I wanted to play a song in my heart. Did you want to set that up a little bit uh, before we play it? Oh, sure. Well, thanks again. That, that, that kind of works off. It's the first song on the record. And it was the first song I wrote after that four month break when, when I started thinking about we were going to get back to work. We knew that we didn't know how long we were going to be, be banned from working in the studio. Eventually they lifted the, you know, under the, they, they created the protocols under which you could operate a, a business like a recording studio. And Will was able to reopen at the end of June. But, um, you know, I was singing on, online, just like we're looking at each other now, you know, and I see these people in their 80s and 90s and some of them, you know, you know, you know, you might never see them again alive, you know, and, or you don't come back for a month or two and they died in that month, you know, and uh, this one particular woman, she, she's 89 and her name is Esther and she blows me kisses, you know, and, and uh, so cute, you know, when, when they, they bring the camera, literally, they walk around with an iPad in these homes and they bring me into the beds of these mm-hmm. you know, hundreds. I sing for people in their hundreds, over hundreds sometimes. So, so that, that, that connection is very important and I understand how it is, how important it is. But at the same time, it was, it was real hard for me getting used to that the first month or two of the pandemic. And so this is about that saying, well, all right, well, you know, you can either start with a song in your head and a song in your heart, or you can say life sucks and your whole day will be colored by that. And, and it depends on which side of the bed you get out of, I guess. So, um, and, and for all our workers and all, all, all the good people doing the hard work during this pandemic, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm a musician, I'm stuck at home and I'm whining about it, but I mean, you know, it's a lot less stressful and a lot less dangerous than, um, than all our workers, municipal workers, food workers, and our healthcare workers and first responders primarily. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so best wishes to all you. Thanks again. And check me out on, you know, you can find me on Facebook, my website, georgeman.org. And uh, if anybody in the labor movement's listening and you ever want me to do something musically, of course, online or, or when this ends, you know, I have guitar, will travel. <laughs> Stick around, George. Uh, we're going to uh, we'll do a song of my heart. Then we've got a little labor history in two, because as Kim mentioned earlier, we got to know our history. Uh, and then that'll end the sort of formal part of our show. Uh, but then we have one of my favorite parts, which is, uh, which is sort of an after party. Uh, we always invite all of our guests uh, and, and we invite other hosts from uh, other shows and network to join us. And we just sit around for about 15, 20 minutes. And sometimes yeah. we pick up things that we were talking about in the show. Sometimes other things come in. So uh, more to come. But here is George Mann and A Song in My Heart. Let's go ahead. Me, so today I'm gonna start 
a song in my head And a song in my heart With a song in my head And a song in my heart How can we make music When we're so far apart Got a song in my head And a song in my heart Why am I complaining now? I'm fed and clean and warm But I can't stop this hunger For the warmth within your arms I don't know when I'll be back Might not be this year So sing along with me today And brush away those tears Yeah, I can see your sparkle there And you've still got some fight as I read my grievances, you say I'll be alright You know that reassures me, so today I'm gonna start With a song in my head And a song in my heart With a song in my head And a song in my heart how can we make music when we're so far apart? I've got a song in my head and a song in my heart. I've got a song in my head and a song in my heart. I've got a song in my head. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1944. That was the day that progressive-era journalist Ida Tarbell died. Often referred to as a leading muckraker, she is considered to have pioneered investigative journalism. She is best known for her expose on the history of the Standard Oil Company, which was serialized in McClure's magazine starting in 1902. The 19-part series detailed John D. Rockefeller's rise to power, the oil empire he created, his business practices, secret alliances with railroads and refiners, and ruthless dealings. Tarbell had a personal stake in unveiling Rockefeller and Standard Oil. Her father was a small oil producer and refiner in Pennsylvania who was virtually ruined, as was much of the region, by Rockefeller's machinations in 1872. She noted, Rockefeller and his associates did not build Standard Oil Company in the boardrooms of Wall Street banks and investment houses, water their stock and rig the market. They fought their way to control by rebate and drawback, bribe and blackmail, espionage and price cutting by ruthless, never slothful efficiency of organization and production. Tarbell combed through hundreds of thousands of pages of 
documents and interviewed company executives and employees, competitors, regulators, and academics. In 1999, New York University ranked her history of Standard Oil fifth out of the top 100 investigative journalist pieces of the century. The expose eventually led to the breakup of the Standard Oil monopoly by the Supreme Court under the Sherman Antitrust Act in 1911. Though her views on unions were more complicated, her history of Rockefeller and Standard Oil revealed to the public, to labor unions, and to workers everywhere the levels tycoons will go to to secure power and profits. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. All right. Kim, Kim, that wasn't just for you. That's actually, uh, we're really into labor history on this show. (laughs) And Rick Smith really does a good job. He manages to cram an amazing amount of stuff into two minutes. It's uh, really quite the the skill. All right. So that wraps up our uh, official, official uh, part of the show. This is just the uh, let our hair down and uh, kick back and enjoy. Um, George, thank you for those wonderful songs. Uh, we'll, we'll just have to do some more shows so we can get more of them uh, out there. But uh, really lovely, lovely stuff. Thank you. Well, thank you. And as Kim was talking about, that labor history element of this is, is what's so important. And I'm glad you're doing this kind of stuff because you know, I'll never forget when I was a young union organizer, Julius Margolin gave me Labor's Untold Story. Yep. And by the UE. And I was like, wow, that's nice. And then I found out that he had, this guy was 80 something years old when I met him. And he was one of those old union guys. And he had bought a dozen copies and he was giving them out to young union organizers. These are, these, are, these are the two the two books I always give people Jeremy Brecker's Strike and Labor's Untold Story. I'm like, these are. These are the two books you need right there. It made a big difference in my life and certainly my understanding of the labor movement, you know. Um, And so that's an important thing that's always been in my work is to try to pass on that to younger people, especially as I'm getting older now. Let me just introduce a couple of new folks here. Of course, Kim Kelly back with us. Thanks for uh, coming back with us, Kim. Uh, Evan Papps, our producer, also uh, works at Empathy Media Lab here in uh, DC and uh, Patrick Dixon is at uh, the Kalmanovitz Initiative in Georgetown and my co-conspirator on the Labor History Today podcast, um, which used to be one of the only podcasts on labor history. And now I think there are what, five or six of them, Patrick, something like that? There are many imitators. <laughs> no, 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 it's all good. We, we can't have too many labor history podcasts. I, I say let a, let a thousand labor history podcasts bloom. So it's all good. All right, folks, it's a free. I'm going to give uh, Patrick and Evan uh, and, and Kim uh, first dibs in this section. Um, since Evan, what do you got? You've, you've been sitting very, very quietly. You, you were supposed to be downtown today. with, with, uh, with <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I also wanted to watch Mike Pence uh, cry as he read off the um, Electoral College and uh, see him ruin his future in the Republican Party. But I'm very angry about what happened uh, today. And I think it's SOS for this country and this so-called democracy if we want to keep it. And I don't think the Republican Party um, should exist anymore. I think People who are serious about wanting to legislate for the people in this country, join the Democratic Party, and uh, then we can split the Democratic Party between a progressive labor wing and the conservative neocon wing. But you you can't really have a, a 
a government that will survive when half the people believe in fascism and their whole mantra is government doesn't work, elect me and I'll prove it. So I'm, I'm very upset and I think um, we need to be honest about this situation. All these media folks right now that are poo-pooing it, excusing it, trying to make it less than what we just saw today, um, they're, they're losing um, any ability to, to call it as it is, so. Well, two things. One is um, uh, actually um, Harold Meyerson, American Prospector, is going to be on my uh, radio show tomorrow. He just put out a column this afternoon. I'm paraphrasing here, but I believe he said that basically no Republican is going to get elected for the next 20 years. Uh, I, 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 I'm going to have to have him explain that, but let me, I, I know, Kim's rolling her eyes. Kim, let, let them go the way of the wigs and the know-nothings at this point. Kim, your thoughts? Well, on the thought that they're not going to elect any more Republicans. I right. mean, how much gerrymandering can you undo? Yeah. How much racism can you right. can you eject from the American populace? I mean, it's a nice thought. I know. But, you know, they're, uh, the Republicans are not good at much, but they're very good at convincing people to let them win and mm. then wielding power like a cudgel when they get it and not allowing there any room for anyone to do anything remotely decent. I mean, yeah, like the Republicans shouldn't exist. Conservatives shouldn't exist. Fascists shouldn't exist. The whole whole nine yards, we don't need them. We never did, but we appear to be stuck with them. Well, that, that was true up until today, I think, was, I mean, Trump burned that house down on his way out, for sure. So that, like he, he, obliterated that party today when he put him behind the eight ball saying make me the president or else and he's he's taken his base i mean obviously he's got support he's got a base so he, he it's the trump party now and if trump's not leading the party who's the next trump there is no other trump well he's got a bunch of kids who think they can be one. There's a bunch of like racist white men who are already in the legislature who are like, I could do that. I could be like, rude. Ah, but they can't though. I mean, they can't. They don't. I mean, the Republicans want to run Tucker Carlson. That's what they want. That's gonna be the next. <laughs> you know, people. Four years from, I mean, four years from now, it's so hard to predict. You know, whether Trump would even be around himself to run, but. But um, but as Evan pointed out, you know, the, it's a loud minority, but don't forget it is a minority. I mean, you know, 47% he got, not 50%. And it's not all of them. Remember, about a third of them say they accept the election results. So we're talking maybe 30% of the country, you know, supports this kind of fascist stuff that's been going on the last few days, especially today. Um, the, the, what's going to shake out after today? Uh, who knows? You know, I mean, I don't think they're going to impeach him or anything like that. But there's going to be some real condemnation coming down on him, and um, you know, it, it may hurt his I, chances. I'll stand by what I said earlier. There's got to be consequences. There has to be. Well, I hope they, I hope they impeach him. You know, but whether this won't happen in the Senate him once and it didn't do anything. I was going to say, yeah, you know, I just, just, just go away. I keep saying when he leaves the when he goes out to get his burgers or whatever, they should just put <laughs> some freaking locks on the White well, House. Can't do that till the twentieth, you know. Uh, uh, Patrick, let me get you in on this, Brother Dixon. One of the things I was, one of the things I was thinking about today. I mean, once upon a time, uh, quite a long time ago, I was a Hill intern. <laughs> 
And this is a particular category of not particularly sympathetic employed that we have in DC, but there are about 20 to 25,000 Hill staff and interns. And in the Capitol complex, I always felt very safe. And you'd see people like John McCain and Hillary Clinton and John Kerry walking around the corridors, often unaccompanied. They didn't have security details. And you felt safe because you knew the rigorous process by which you had to go through to enter the building. So when I saw those folks on the steps of the Capitol earlier, I knew that was mm, not a lot more than 50 feet away from the Senate chamber. So Jeremy's or else could have been an even more sort of sinister or else I felt earlier in a country that does have a history of political assassinations and when it seemed like Trump was turning on Pence, it reminded me of when Tony Soprano turns on Big Pussy and buries him at sea. So um, I don't know you'd call that character by that name if it was made today, but. I mean, I just want to interject. We are on a thread and the idea of a president calling martial law is it's within his ability. If there is an insurrection, it's literally, you can just say pretty much martial law. and. Everyone says this is an insurrection, and even though it, it's in support of him. So, I mean, all we need is a couple of bombing. I mean, like this, I think, would um, be the pretense. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if we wake up tomorrow and, and Trump essentially says, you know, I'm declaring martial law. And uh, yeah, so, and George, you're on mute. So, Sorry. I heard there was supposed to be we starting counting at eight o'clock tonight, right? So, yes. so you know, it is going to continue absent another storming of the Capitol, it should conclude in a day or so with a certification, you would think, you would think. Yeah, but I mean, at the same time, we have to acknowledge that there are people like General Flynn, there are people in the DC oh, yeah. police or, or the Capitol police that um, either allowed it to happen or looked the other way. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's the narrative that I'm, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just saying it was amazing how they could, were able to get that, that you know, that, that unprepared. Right, sorry. yeah. yeah unprepared but the, the narrative that we're that i'm seeing kind of already filtering across twitter and social media is the uh well black lives matter and anti-fascists burned down all the cities this summer so this is fine you can't say anything about this this is like don't worry about it kevin sorbo the worst hercules said i don't want to hear your opinion if you weren't outraged to get about BLM and Antifa burning everything down. So it's like, they're already doing this pivot towards, well, the Democrats let their guys, which nobody I know who is an anti-fascist or is inv involved in Black Lives Matter gives a fuck what the Democrats think. Like, oh, well, they didn't condemn that immediately. And Trump told his guys to stand down after a couple hours. So like, it's the same thing. Like people trying to live and then people trying to f take over a country are not the same thing. And which, which group of protesters got brutalized and murdered and tear gassed and which ones got a couple slaps on the wrist? It's just, you can already see the right-wing propaganda machine seizing on this and figuring out a way to spin it where like they're still the good guys and everyone else is wrong. And I mean, God, waking up tomorrow is gonna be real stressful because like, like Evan was saying, like this dude is still in charge and he can still do whatever he wants. He kind of made that clear today. like. He took, took uh, what, he delayed the deployment of the National Guard by like two hours, just cause? Like, we are not out of the woods. The last I, the last I read on that, uh, he's not even the one that gave the okay, it was Pence. Pence did, Pence did, yep. 
Yeah, so, I read something that the National Guards were in, in contact with Pelosi, Miller at the DOD, acting uh, head, and Pence. Yeah. Like, Trump totally out to lunch for you. Taking calls. <laughs> so a couple, a couple things I want to I say. I mean, the things that I listened to, I was watching CNN, MSNBC, and then NPR, which is just sort of these mainstream ones. Uh, I was on Twitter for a while, but, you know, depending on which thread you were on, things got pretty funky pretty quickly. It was kind of hard to sort out. Um, and I was also on Twitter, I was trying to track the labor response, which I don't know if you were paying attention to that, Kim, it was very interesting. It was very, very quiet for most of the day until I think it was right around five when folks started to put out statements. But it was really, I think, a Trumpka statement didn't come out until four. And that was really the first one that came out. But my point is, is that the things that I saw, I was, I was surprised on, on, uh, on CNN that they were calling it an insurrection and I mean, that they were actually, the only thing that I didn't hear was fascist, but it was actually quite, that these were mainstream journalists that normally, to me, have been pretty mealy-mouthed, right? Have been, and have done that sort of false equivalency, you know, between right-wing and, and, and left-wing. And they really, this really seemed to be a bridge too far uh, for those folks. And then the other thing that I saw was you, was you started to see some of the Republicans, and I agree that you know, all of these Republicans are like a big club of, an of arsonists who are standing around a burning building and being like, you know, shocked, shocked that the building is burning. Uh, but setting that aside, I think that, you know, seeing a lot of them coming out and pleading with Trump to, you know, call off the dogs is really interesting because I think, I think a lot of them didn't really think this would happen. Although, again, it does boggle the mind. Um, and so I, I am wondering I mean, I, I worry about this kind of stuff too. Uh, my, my only consolation is that Trump usually seems too freaking incompetent, you know, to, to pull this stuff off. Um, so am, you know, am I grasping at straws here? I mean, let's, it's probably not gonna happen, right? It's probably not gonna happen, but we are on the very razor's edge and it could happen and it today, I mean, who knows what's going to happen the next 24 hours. And yeah, it's scary. But I, I think the the hopefulness of it is that Trump, Trump is the GOP now and the GOP's circular firing squad. There is a party realignment that's going on that hasn't happened since the Southern strategy 50 years ago. And it's in the middle of a party alignment, realignment, it, it's hard to really know what's going on. We may not actually acknowledge it for another 10 years, but I, I do believe it's happening. And, and my hope has always been that Trump is going to be the Samson pulling the temple down on the Philistines of GOP. And then we can split the Democratic Party, which needs to happen, but not before destroying the GOP. Well, I think that's a really good point. I mean, there's definitely... There's definitely a, a war coming in the Democrats. I mean, uh, and this whole thing about the, uh, the Democrats taking over the Senate, I mean, <laughs> they're, they are not all, I mean, just like you guys were talking about earlier, they're, they're no more altogether than the, the labor movement is altogether. Every once in a while, we find something that we can all get together, like, let's, let's go and win Georgia. That's an easy one, right? But you watch, you know, as, as uh, you know, everybody's got different stuff, um, and, and, you know, I think uh, Damon was talking about this. These are very narrow margins. I do not see how anybody is going to be able to govern with these narrow margins. But it's still, my, I'm sorry, no, please. Yeah. No, just narrow margins where? 
Everyone means that, you know. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I believe voter suppression is a big part of this as well. I mean, in Georgia, there are 200,000 votes. These are, there are four, it's 60% against them at least. And it, it's the only reason why they're able to continue to rule. And that's why they're escalating the violence and tension because they are losing the grip. They're trying to keep it with the Supreme Court, with the Senate, with gerrymandering, with voter suppression. But they are a minority party that have no policies to run on anymore. And so that's why they keep escalating it. Sure. I'd like to point out also, you know, there's not been a lot of attention paid to this. You know, everybody talks about the seven million victory to Biden over Trump. But, um, you know, the gerrymandering in the House, of course, the, the Republicans picked up something like 11 seats or there's two seats still being contested, including one right near me in upstate New York here, Brindisi, right? Uh, the Democrat is down by like 12 votes and they're, they're fighting oh, over the mail-in ballots. Um, they had a fist fight in Pennsylvania the other day. Oh I, yeah, right, right, right. But, but what I was trying to say was this, is um, on the, I think it's the New York Times election site, the Democrats got four and a half million votes more in the House elections throughout the country and still lost 11 seats right. and that's a point nobody's making you know they, they need to you know so so again it's a gerrymandering they shouldn't be in charge of the house they lost by four and a half million votes nationwide it's the gerrymandering that allows the post office suppressed as well you know the, huh? post office, the destruction of the post office how many how many votes were lost with that you know yeah yeah man yeah so so you know it's not so bad you know that they lost three seats in the senate this election okay you know, so, you know, Trump lost the Senate, the House and the White House in four years. So, you know, we're, we're not losing here, folks, you know, uh, that, that loud, ugly minority is loud and ugly, but they are a minority. Well, you because you, I think you at the end of, of the, our first segment, were talking, you know, kind of hopefully about you had this whole list of things that they could do. You're talking to both leaders in the labor movement, but you're also talking to a lot of rank and filers. And I'm curious I mean, I know what I'm seeing, you know, locally, I can tell you in DC, I mean, government workers, the, the most I ever saw government workers actually get active was during the shutdown. And that was because they were forced to, I mean, normally it is incredibly hard to get government workers to turn out uh, at all. Um, and so I'm just curious about what you're seeing uh, with the different folks that you're talking to. Just in terms of, you know, activity, like people being willing to go out and do something. Yeah, I mean, to make this happen, because it's not, I mean, like Damon was saying, I don't think this is going to happen, you know, by sending in the labor lobbyists. That's, it's, it's, that's, not, a, that's not a winning strategy. No, I mean, I think we need to shake up labor leadership at the top. The, the male pale and stale victim <laughs> is still, it's still there. You know, it's not as universal as it once was. But, and I mean, obviously, there's this is something that I, I come up across in my own union because I'm on the council there. There's a, a generational divide and there's also kind of a class and economic divide in a lot of ways. The people who are doing the best aren't always thinking about the people who are doing the worst. And that's even within our movement. So that's, that's a problem that we need to be working to address. There isn't enough solidarity being shown to people that are harder to organize or who are left behind. And there's so many petty arguments about minutia where we should be thinking about you know, how do we actually act on the maximum of an injury to one as an injury to all? You know, like I'm, I'm a wobbly too. And I think we should unionize everything. I think we should have one really, really big union. But if we can't have that right now, we could at least, you know, do something about card check or like do something actionable about sectoral bargaining or do something about halting the spread of Prop 22. Like there's some, I mean, 
labor lobbyists, God bless them, they're going to do what they're going to do, but it takes a lot of grassroots organizing to force them to do anything, to force elected people to do anything, as we've been seeing. So, I mean, I think we have seen a lot of consciousness raising happening over this past crisis. I mean, the rhetoric around essential workers, yeah, that fell flat after a while and people realized that it might actually inconvenience them or the people in power realized like, oh, so we have to like do stuff to help them now? I don't know about all that. But I think that there has been a massive shift in consciousness in labor and just in the working class in general that like, you know what, like we matter. We're making this shit run. Like we have, like there have been these victories that people are seeing. And I think people are hopefully find some inspiration there to keep organizing, keep fighting on a broader scale because like these people in these fancy white buildings don't ultimately care of whether we live or die. They care whether we vote. The people that care about us are us. We protect ourselves. It's not the cops. It's not the government. It's not always the president of whatever local, you know, like it's the people that you're working with and in community with and you, you care about. Like I'm, my like utopian radical visions are, are coming through like always, but I feel like labor, there's so much potential and there's so much power and we just haven't figured out a way to unlock it yet. But the answer seems very simple at the same time. You just gotta get rid of all the bullshit and start taking care of people. Well, and I think too that when you see things, and, and you talked earlier actually about you know the uh, the approval. I mean, there were a number of us, you know, councils that approved uh, general strike votes. Um, but then there's actually things like Chicago Teachers Union, um, you know, and 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 in uh, West Virginia, folks who actually, you know, people and people forget, like in West Virginia, it was not the AFT that led that strike. It was the teachers. AFT, you know, caught up real quick. Uh, and then, you know, I'm glad that they did, but it was it was grassroots led. Um, the other thing that I was amazed by, you know, they're always telling us every time there's something that we want, they're always like, we don't have the money. We don't have the money. All of a sudden, you know, it turned out, you know, I mean, I love this last this last fight over $600 checks for everybody or $1,200 checks for everybody, right? At the same time, they're calling, you know, John Ossoff, you know, a communist or socialist, where the hell they were calling him, right? You know, they're, you know, the, 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 the conservative position over the last couple of weeks was $600 for everybody. Now, you know, a year ago, if you'd have talked about sending everybody in America a $600 check, you know what you would have been called, right? <laughs> you know, so. Is this a bad thing to be a socialist or a communist? No, of course not. I mean, that, but, that, but that's, you know, but it, what's amazing it's to me is that, work. But, but, you know, the, in this day and age, over the last couple of weeks, that they can actually try and use that in Georgia. And thank God, that was one of the things to me was they tried to tar them with this, you know, that this has been working for, what, 60 years? Just call them a socialist, call them a communist. And it Radical didn't Radical left, Raphael Warnock. You couldn't say his name without, without stumbling over. Radical left, extreme Raphael Warnock. Like every single time she would say his name. And it's just like this pleasant man of the cloth who wants to make things a little bit better. Like <laughs> he ran over his ex-wife's foot, though. That's oh what they claimed, God. of course. Yeah. I mean, she claimed, and there was no injury, but it was all over the talk radio that he had run over his wife's foot. Um, I miss that. But, but, I completely miss that. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, up here, you know, I was gonna say up here, you know, uh, 
I, you know, I'm in the woods kind of just outside of Ithaca, but, but, you know, you drive five, Ithaca is hippie heaven and progressive left wing heaven. Right. But you drive five miles from here, not even, and there's Confederate flags in the front yard, you know, uh, and this is upstate New York. There's plenty of Confederate flags around. And, and what I That's think like is five feet for me. Yeah. Right. 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 Well, yeah, yeah. Well, I moved to Ithaca thinking I'd be, you know, it was hippie heaven, you know I mean? Uh, but, 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 but the thing I was going to say is that people are now scared, I think, to show their support for Biden and, and Harris and, and Democrats. I mean, who would put a Biden Harris, you know, poster in their window in Washington, DC this week. Right. You know, I mean, you know, they might get a rock thrown through it by the proud boys, you know, and all this mob that's descended on there for a couple of days. Uh, anywhere in the country, man, you're going to have people that are, are envious of not being able to be a part of this what happened today like that's that's scary. oh yeah yeah and get their little pound of flesh if they can you yeah. know it's, it's anger at having lost and you see that you know playing out people just are lashing out like crazy because you know they're finally realizing okay today was going to be the day that the certification kind of means it's over right uh, no but i think i think no i think jeremy and you should expand this you're making a really this is the thing actually that i've been really worried i'm less worried about the martial law thing uh than I am about what Jeremy is talking about, which is that I think this is going to valorize a lot of these folks who went, I mean, we all know, we've all been in demonstrations. I, I have been involved in occupations and I know what that feels like. You feel power, you yeah. feel power, you feel good, you feel solidarity. And I was looking, I was watching these videos and I saw that these, I, I, that's what, I, I mean, I think that's what you're talking about, Jeremy, right? Yeah, yeah, like y y there's, I mean, not everybody that there's a lot more people that felt the way the people we saw acting out today feel. They just couldn't be there today. Right. And like, you know, to, to, to piggyback off of George, I mean, they're they're going to they're going to take action to get their pound of flesh. You know, I, I drove around for four years. I would see the Trump flags and stickers and Confederate flags and stuff on the back of pickup trucks and all that fun stuff. And yeah, in my head, I'm like, you know, this piece of shit, but I didn't do anything. If I'm driving around with a Biden sticker on my car, I'm probably going to get my window shot out. Right, and that's, right. that's a scary reality that we may face here in the immediate uh, days ahead. That's, I mean, let's, let's be honest. If anyone other than this group of people broke into the Capitol building, they would have got mowed down and shot, right? Absolutely. And, I was surprised and you want to, you want to like, you yeah. want to shut this down right away. I'm sorry, state, state violence on this. Um, you got to crush these guys. You, you, you can't negotiate with them. It's kind of like what uh, the, the whole zombie idea, Chris. Well, I want to, I want to go back no. to, to the, Fletcher talked about. Yeah the discussion that you, you all were having just a couple of minutes ago where George was talking about, you know, we did win. We like, we won back the white house. We won back the Senate and the, and the house. Right. But winning's not enough. Like when the, when the right wins, they take full advantage of their position and their power. Winning's not enough. It's what you do with the victory. And so this is like moving ahead again. We're seeing how, the, uh, the elected officials now, how they act moving forward. I know uh, we talked about it earlier, Chris and I, um, the squad is moving to draw up articles of impeachment because they're gonna try and remove him from office as fast as possible, whether it's invoking the 25th or impeaching him as fast as possible, whatever. Uh, and at the same time, they're writing a resolution to expel the, the GOP senators and uh, Congress people that were implicit in all this and that were 
pushing the um, to to uh, shut down the certification and all that stuff. So this is this is real action, and whether it goes somewhere or not, I don't know, but it needs to. It really needs to. You're right, Jeremy. You know, it's like I sit there and I go. Yeah, I know why I registered as an independent at 18 and would never register as a Democrat. And and to sit there and have Joe Biden remind me of it when he says, I'm going to be the president for everyone, even if you didn't vote for me, when he should be saying, fuck you, you scumbags. We're going to take revenge now on you Listen, guys. No, no. We're going to like break the message. filibuster. We're going to pack the court. We're going to make D.C. I, and Puerto Rico states. That's the kind of Democrats I want to see. You I know? like the like, message. Uh, I want that. I don't care what the message is. I want the action. Yeah, right. Sure. And not you know this, what I'm we saying? have to heal and it's too bad that this bring, happened. You know, bring them, to, bring them together as long as we're right. doing all the other shit. Lock them up first. Right. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll and, heal. and then move on policy based on material actual yeah. consideration. Create jobs. You know, right now, yes. if, if you look at the U6 unemployment, which is the real unemployment, which is not counted when you're off the unemployment payrolls after 26 right. weeks, yeah. underemployed, people working more than one job, can't find full time work. We're at we're still at like 20 plus percent. So mm. we need a CCC. We need a WPA. All of our infrastructure is collapsing. I mean, China and, and Russia, it's it's a tripartite world as well. Like it, it's uh, there is geopolitical considerations that also need to be considered without being imperial, imperialist um, and still being anti-imperial. So I, Biden needs to take the banks on. He needs to take Wall Street on. We need to push the hell out of him. Uh, but we need him in first, you know, and, and not just play defense. <laughs> right. That's still right. an <laughs> I'm, I'm going to give us a, a, a positive uh, going on just to remind folks. I mean, there's, we have this network, which is now 80 shows strong. Uh, and we have great journalists like Kim, you know, who are labor journalists. And, and I think, you know, we just, one of the things I get worried about, especially I get most worried, frankly, when we win elections, you know, when we lose elections, people, it does tend to focus people. But when we win elections is, is when people start to think, oh, you know, we won, we got the Senate, we got the House, we elected Biden, we're all good. And, and what was really interesting to me over the last four years was all of, all of my, you know, non-political friends who were, you know, calling me up and texting me. And I'm like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And I'm like, you know, all right, welcome to the revolution. So I think it's just a reminder to all of us that, you know, what each of us is doing, you know, George with your music, all of us with our shows, Kim with your journalism, you know, I think, and I think you said this in the last line of your column. I mean, you know, it's, it's on us. I thought you were going to say put their feet in the fire. Actually, <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> I'm not opposed. Diversity of tactics, right? But I mean, that I think the point is is exactly right. That the the real work I think is actually starting right now. Uh, that and and that and that's internal. Uh, you know, I, I'm not I'm not so focused on the Proud Boys and those folks that scare the hell out of me. They piss me off. But it's it's more the question of whether our folks are going to actually you know, get off their asses and do what, what needs to get done. And I think that's part of what this network is about. Um, so Kim, you can expect to hear from more of these uh, labor uh, shows <laughs> inviting you to be on, so. I'm, I'm not going anywhere. It's still, All right. it's still COVID time. So you're literally captive. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> you're a captive audience. And George, same to you, man. We'll, we'll, be, we'll be following up with you, so. Well, thank you. If you, you know, if you ever want to bring in an element where you have like a labor song, just a five minute break as part of the hour. Yes, yes know, please. Me or anybody else, Magpie, you know, I'm sure we do. We're all stuck at home and we all have the equipment, you know, to, to do it. 
uh, you know, to do it online. So uh, yeah, great, you know, if you want to do a show on labor history songs sometime down the road, let's talk about it. But I gladly sit in if you, you know, said, you know, we'll do a five minute song either at the beginning or end. We'll just have something there to tie us into the history of labor. Uh, glad to glad to contribute. We should, we should make George our, our musical consultant for the network. What do you think? Yeah, right. <laughs> Well, if yeah. you, I don't know if you, like I said, I haven't been watching it. I, I, I don't tie into media too much during this pandemic, you know, I try to get enough of it just watching the election. But, but if you, um, if you start with a song, if you have theme songs, as I don't know each time, yeah, there's a bunch of great music out there. I could recommend some to you. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, sure. And uh, right. maybe other guests down the road, but we thanks will again. Up. Thanks everybody. Take it easy. Hang in hey, there. Stay safe. George, real, real quick. The uh, slide guitar on the uh, fish, Fish rots from Rich. the head. Love it, man. Oh, yeah. Well, Rich DiPaolo, he's all over the record. He works with the Burn Sisters, and he works with a lot of great artists up here in Ithaca. Uh, he works with Colleen Catal. I know uh, Chris has met her at the Arts Exchange, I'm sure, over the years. And Rich is a wonderful player. Yeah, yeah you that... should look him up. Rich DiPaolo, D-E-C-A. Yeah, I got, it. I got it written down, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He smokes on the new. He smokes on which side are you on, too, man. That's him doing all the screaming guitars. I don't know if you've heard it, but uh, uh, he, uh, you know, he just does a great job. Well, thanks again, everybody. I hope we can get back to playing for you down the road and maybe be there in June, but I don't think it's going to happen with the Arts Exchange. Fingers crossed. It's gonna, yeah, it's probably going to be virtual. Yeah. Thanks again. Thanks again. You better listen, my brother, because if you do, you can hear from across the years and they're crying across the ocean they're crying across the land and they will until we all come to understand none of us are free none of us are free